Inspired Mentor, four solution-focused therapists born in four different decades who openly and honestly discuss their perspectives on the issues surrounding men's mental health, the things that stigma says we don't talk about. Today, we're going to talk about the reason we do this podcast. I want to know from the other guys, and I want to put my spin on it as well, why we'll be doing this podcast and why Inspired Men Talk. So, just going to jump straight in. So, who's got the answer to that question? What inspired you to talk? Peter? Uh, so, uh, thanks for the pause. Loved it. Um, I guess, for me, I I was going through a bit of a hard time at work, and I realised that talking really helped. Um I think I've told about this before. I was sitting in in Stratford, Westfield, and I called someone up and they said, are you all right? I said no, and I kind of burst into tears. And obviously that's not a normal reaction, and I recognised that there was something wrong. Um, And I mentioned that I got caught by some really good people that helped me and encouraged me to talk. And from doing that, so, you know, the, the thing that inspired me was that kind of it being in a negative place and seeing the difference that it made me, uh, that it brought out in me, um, really helped me. And I think once I knew that talking worked, it was really difficult to get me to shut up. Um, you know, I was quite happy to to start talking about my feelings, you know, coming from someone who was born in the in the 70s, and we've said this before, it it was, you didn't talk, you you held everything, you bottled everything up. So being able to to release things and feeling more comfortable about that, having a, a comfortable, safe space to talk made it really easy for me to not only start talking, but to continue to talk. I think that's really important. It's not just the start talking, but it's the continuing to talk. It's not just talk about one thing and then never talk again. It's having that confidence to be able to say, actually, that helped me. I'm going to keep doing more of that. And he's recognised that. I don't think we do that enough, to be fair. I think that's a really, really good point. Yeah. Peter, can I ask you? Sure. You said you were sort of sitting there one day and got really overwhelmed, you might say? Yeah. What did you do before that? Why hadn't you dealt with it before the moment of breakage? I, th- I think... So I was I was in a management position and I was looking after people and I think I tried to be strong for others um, and felt like I had to be the strong person that, that people could come to. And I didn't realise that I was I was going through. Well, I, I knew there were things that weren't quite right, but I didn't realise just how bad things were, I think. Um, and wanting to be strong for others, wanting to be that pillar and that support um person for other people made me kind of just tough it out and I think we I I know I've read this somewhere that I also felt that other people had it worse and therefore I just had to keep being strong and I didn't kind of realize that I needed to look after myself that's another really good point it's that other people have got it worse so why do i need to talk why should I, I don't deserve to have that space because other people have got it worse i think that's something we've probably said to ourselves a lot and i think everybody's guilty of that even now even my generation coming up bring up 
being brought up a lot in the 90s and in the noughties, it's, if you've got a problem, it's like, well, we'll think about how so-and-so feels. They've got this going on and the other thing going on. So you, you, you are sort of held um, in comparison a lot of the time, aren't you? And your problems never seem as bad as somebody else's problems. So, yeah, absolutely. No, that definitely was was kind of where I think I was sitting and it took breaking for me to kind of realise that I needed to get help. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, Peter. It's funny because we were talking then and I kind of zoned out for about 20 minutes. Well, at least it felt like it because I've never actually really thought about that before. And my brain just disappeared off down a track and sort of started replaying everything. And actually, upon reflection, what made me talk was being in a group of people who were already talking and able to talk about their emotions and saying, oh, do you know what? I'm done with this. It's too much. It's piling on top. I can't cope with it. And then actually then that kind of opened up that conversation to say, yeah, actually, I can't either. <laughs> do you know what? I'm breaking under this. It's actually getting on top. And then that's supported by probably my husband, Ash, at, the, at home saying, like, being able to detect what's wrong or that something is different and saying, you've got to tell me, otherwise I can't help you. And then yeah. actually breaking that silence. It's almost like getting over a hurdle, isn't it? Trying to sort of get past this invisible barrier. And then once you do climb over it and get over it, it's like, oh, it's actually not that bad to talk. It's well, okay. same question, yeah, same question to you, what um, Gary asked Peter then. Um, what was you doing before you was, found yourself in that safe group of people that were all talking and thought, oh, I'm going to get a piece of this? What was you doing before that? Carrying on, moving forward as best I could. I guess, you know, that word that we hear, presenteeism, turning up, doing your job, but underneath, not being correct, not being you actually struggling so i think a lot of it was then you know you kind of get that bravado of just brush it off you in the team oh yeah go down the pub have a few beers no one really fully talks about it you just kind of chat about the jobs and have a laugh and make a joke about it take the piss out of each other and and life gets by until it doesn't until you break and then it's, it's getting over that hurdle to be able to actually speak about it but so what you're saying if i'm hearing it right is for quite a while, you used different coping mechanisms, even though you was aware that you wasn't your best, you was finding ways of coping rather than dealing with it until you realized other people were. Where Peter said he didn't necessarily see it, you was aware of it, but you used the camaraderie and the pub and the job and what everybody else did. Maybe, maybe yeah. I missed it. No, that. I think it was down to the fact I was aware that I felt like I've seen some bad jobs. I've seen some, you know, children die and some in some horrific things. And I kind of like everybody else around was just like, let's go down the pub, get hammered, and we carry on. So mentally, I suppose it's like, I need to toughen up. I need to get on with this. Like, obviously, this is everybody else just deals with this. So I've just got to sort that out and get on and deal with it. And over time, I guess you learn, or you think you learn, 
to deal with it by just brushing it off and, and moving forward and being tougher, I suppose, as you would perceive it. Reality is it catches up because it doesn't go anywhere. It just keeps coming back until the point where then you go, there's a problem there. Uh, that's that's really interesting. Um, and just so you know, we're still only at seven minutes. So it it wasn't 20, it was three and a half. Um, <laughs> it felt like 20. I said that afterwards. <laughs> so, like Gary, but, not me. But, but it's interesting because I've worked with, as, a, as the, my role now as a therapist and that, I've worked with a lot of policemen, uh, prison officers, medical trained staff, paramedics, etc. And they talk about something called compassion fatigue. Mm. So they're toughening it up. It isn't being tough, tougher. It's actually not responding at all to the point they lose compassion for everything in life if they're not careful. And I've seen a lot of compassion fatigue within tough roles, tough jobs where people are dealing with real emotional stuff so to protect themselves they cut themselves off yeah and i think you know uh, definitely i think i think part of that compassion fatigue is the fact that you deal with a lot of stuff that's quite bad and then you look at people who live their lives kind of in this little bubble that they have and they have like really small things going wrong but to them the world's coming to an end but you turn up and you go are they being serious because this is nowhere in comparison to what I've just been dealing with and what we just had to deal with the past shift or whatever. And they're worried about the fact, I don't know, a, a dog's taken a dump on their lawn or something from someone walking by. And you're like, seriously, people, this is not the end of your world. Let's get some perspective on it. Yeah. And I would, you know, riding home after bad jobs, I'd sit on the tube and ride home. And I remember one morning after a night shift when it had all gone seriously wrong. And I'm like, about four people have died tonight and these people going to work on the tube haven't got a clue. And then you start to look around and say to yourself, I wonder what's going on in their lives, though. Like, no one actually knows. We all just commute and pass by. No one knows that I look completely burnt out and frazzled and in, in the bottom of a pit because of what's happened in my night shift. But I don't know why that person looks a bit fed up this morning either. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think, well, going back to the main, the original question of what inspired you to talk, it was you literally were inspired to talk because you were in that group of people that were freely talking. Yeah. And for me, that sounds like, again, going back to the tube, you realised that actually we've all got shit going on and we can talk about it. So you were literally the inspired man who talked. Pretty much. I love that. Anyway, Gary, you not want to talk a lot. So what inspired you to talk? Well, <laughs> it's interesting because I don't know if I've ever recognised that I've been inspired to talk or that I talk specifically about a problem. And I think it's – I had, and I've spoken about it before, I brought up in the 60s, um, where generally people didn't speak. But although I come from um, a big family and there was nowhere to hide and you had to be your emotions because 
there was nothing else to be and somebody would call you out all the time so there's that old saying that you know a child is brought up by a village well our family was so big it was a village and everybody knew everything so you couldn't not be the owner of what's going on in your life and you had to share it because you wouldn't be allowed not to and there was also again maybe because we the the environment we were brought up the level of honesty so whatever was going on if somebody died you'd be going they've died there was been no fluffing around it if somebody was this it would be that it was you know it was very open and then as I went into business and that it was interesting to see how many people didn't and I found that quite uncomfortable and unusual and I ended up bringing a lot of people in and around me in business and that who actually quite enjoyed being in that space where it was completely open and honest um you know so I think just that space of honesty was okay and so for me the reason a lot of the reasons I was inspired to talk and okay to talk was it was a normal thing however we also don't talk about things which don't need to be talked about so you do find some people overshare a bit like Dane was saying earlier that people will get really inflamed over quite minor stuff, but never talk about big stuff. Well, we would talk about stuff which was needed to talk about, but we never got really upset by little silly, silly things. Because in the, you know, when you're surviving life, they're not really that important. And then when you're living life, you can cope with them and make the best assessment of them, as we say. So my inspiration, I think, was just the ability that we can all do that. And if you let people support you, they support you. Now, interestingly, on the reverse of that, I always wore a suit of armor all my life because being seen as weak as vulnerable. So everything was kept quite close. So family members, people who knew you well, got that bit, but everybody else got the bit which you needed to present. So you never sat on the train and looked, you know, like you're struggling because you never displayed that because you'd probably emptied everything out at home or with somebody you knew was safe. So it was almost like you wore two sets of clothes depending on where you were. So, I mean, from what I'm getting from that is you had a big family and you were all very open, so it was easy to talk at home. It was easy to talk with your family and you you, you found that second nature. But what if you didn't have that family network there? I mean, you're fortunate yeah. you came from a big family and you had that there. Some and you, But what if you didn't? And you've already said you put on a suit of armour for everybody else. So... It, Where would you go if family's not an option? It's really interesting because I joined the Air Force at 16 and that's almost the same. 
So you then join the Air Force and you don't have any hiding spaces. You sleep in the same room as, you know, dozens of other guys. You use the same bathrooms as dozens of other people and you all have the same uniform. So, but there's a little, there's a film, um, and I think, you know, it's is very famous where the guy stands up, I think it's Jack Nicholson, and says, you couldn't handle the truth. And... I think there was a lot of that. So you didn't tell the truth to a lot of people because you tell the truth, how what's really going on behind the the scenes for you, and that person couldn't hold that space. So finding someone who could hold you, hold what's going on for you without judgment and just be there to support and so I don't know what I would have done if I never believed that there was somebody to hold my space, to hold the truth. And, there's, you know, I found in life there's very few people who have got that strength. Or maybe I am I believe there's not, and there is. So have you ever been that person for other people when you've been in those situations? I mean, of course, for your family and um, growing up and things like that, but being in the Air Force, have you ever been that person for somebody else? That, no, because no one could get a word in edgeways. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there is that truth. But, yeah, so, I mean, that seems to be my role in life. Always has been. Most of the people I've employed have seen me as someone they can trust. And I don't mean trust not to take stuff from them, but trust that I would support and hold them with no judgment. Excellent. So I suppose it's up to me now, isn't it? So what inspired me to talk? I mean, coming from a much younger generation, talking for me at a young age was very easy, um, almost too easy. It was almost, that's like you said, we'll talk about anything. Um, we'll We'll publicise the smallest problems we've got and and talk about that. But I wouldn't say I was to the extreme where I'd be kicking off about anything and everything. But uh, it, talking in general, I found quite easy growing up. Um, as you got as I got older, um, certain things, certain barriers go up. So you will talk to certain people, you won't talk to certain people, and I think that's an important boundary to hold. I don't think that's something we should diminish because like you said you've got those people that overshare to everybody you've all got that person um, at work or in our lives somewhere that you'll see them every time and they'll rattle off every single problem they've got and it's to no no means of improvement it's just to complain um and i find i find it really hard to find that space where you can um have that person you can talk to without spiraling into this pit of misery i think that's an important thing to find and for me it's always been again like gary it's always been people close to me that you feel you can actually talk to in that level where actually you're just going to hear me and not try and outdo me does that make sense outdoing your my problems with your problems so talking is normally quite an easy thing for me but it's finding where to talk was always the struggle and it doesn't matter how old you get. I think you're still le- you're always learning that. I mean, I've been when I've been through some big problems, um, and I've actually sought out help and looked for somebody to help me. That taught me a lot because it was like, hang on, I've got all these people that are close to me that I can talk to, 
but they care about me so much they want to just fix the problem whereas you go sometimes go to that outside perspective it can be a place where you can actually just talk freely without somebody saying well that's because you're you or that's because of the things you did four years ago or that th- it's a completely fresh perspective where you can actually say well this is where i am now and they can if it's the right person if you go look for that person and find them they can help you in that moment and i think that's important so i'm still learning where i want to talk and i'm still being inspired all the time in different ways to talk you know and i think we can all keep learning that it goes back to what pete was saying it's not just starting having that conversation with somebody but continuing being able to talk and that's not always with the same person i find that different people i'll talk to for different reasons and you think um something you said in the middle of that you know you talked about those outspoken people and we've all sort of briefly touched on it and if i'm thinking about it now do you think that those people who overshare everything i can think of an individual who would not stop talking and chatting actually pretty much in the office about their sex life and how amazing it was but reality underneath of that they were really unhappy in their relationship yeah and that came out you know several months down the line they were separating and breaking up and all the rest of it and actually now i'm looking at it and i'm thinking was that really their cry for help to someone to talk to them about it so yeah, are those be. outspoken people, is that a way of trying to get the help by being overt about it? It's a good point, isn't it? And it, and what you said kind of made me think about the guy that's always shouting about his sex life probably isn't getting any, you know, <laughs> and, and that's the fact of it. But then you've got the people that are always telling you how miserable things are. No matter what you say to them, they'll always try and go, yeah, but that's all right, but this is crap. Yeah, that's all right, but this is crap. You know, they're, they're stuck in their ways. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a, listen, I'm telling you everything's crap. Can you completely help me? Do you know what I mean? But we find that draining, I find. But it can be, isn't it? And I'm just being honest. I mean, maybe that's a bad way to look at it, but it can be really draining when you've got that friend who just wants to talk about life's woes. I think we all know that person in the office where you see them coming and you think, oh, not today. But, but but I think it's like a lot of children who behave sometimes badly, but it's to get attention because there's something that person, that child needs or that person needs. And it's like, how do I get attention? And I don't know how to talk. So I'll talk about, if I talk about my sex life, everybody listens to that. They might not want to hear it, but you know it's a subject because we talked about banter before and some people use banter to mm. create connection because they don't know how to get connection mm. and they they don't know but they're just craving attention and if the relationship's going badly they get an attention from that and it's not the right attention and it's how we then work okay. out how to support them so that kind of brings me on to the next question then gary so how do you inspire? We're talking about men's mental health here. We're talking about men talking. So how do you inspire a man to talk in the right way? Well, it's really interesting because, you know, as a professional, as we all are in helping people to support themselves and to to get to the best version of themselves, we want to inspire. And particularly in our case, we want to inspire men to talk. So the, the obvious thing is, like Ben said, 
is if we all talk and other people will talk because they can see it's a safer thing to do. It's okay. You know, it's okay to be bad. It's okay to talk about it. But actually, one of the things which I've heard from you guys and I've heard from lots of people, and it's an interesting thing. So where I'm sitting right now, um, our, our new sort of head office, um, it's it was we had to have some construction work here, and I've had people come here do people fitting the blinds, I've had people building the walls and plastering it, and every single one of them, when they realised what we were going to be doing here, said, "Ah." Oh, it's interesting because I've had this and I've had this and I've had colleagues who've taken their own lives and I used to have a cocaine habit and and it's for me it's about creating an environment and it's not a specialist environment it's about just being open and okay to it and making it obvious without being in your face and then allowing that space which is trying to because I think the whole narrative now that men don't speak is actually stopping men talking and christopher i know you've got opinions on that um but i i think it needs to be more education generic you know all that sort of stuff yeah no i think you've touched on quite a few good points there um peter what do you think how do we get men to talk how do we inspire a man to talk in the right way i think having that conversation um Getting a conversation started is a, is a great thing, is a great way to do it. And, and, you know, having resources available to people. So education, using podcasts, uh, giving people the opportunity to listen to other people talking. Right. We all we're all we all do this tribe thing. And, and if there are people that are willing to talk and it's easier for others to open up. So I think having podcasts, having making making people aware that it's OK to talk is a great way to start this inspirational piece. And then I think, again, Gary talked about the physical environment, but can also just be having that kind of mental, comfortable, safe space for people, letting them know that it's okay to talk. Like like people did for me, they held me and they, they propped me up. So I think the way to inspire men is to let them know there's a comfortable space, you've got, you've got that space and it's safe, and there's someone that's going to have your back. And that, for me, are the key things for inspiring people to, to open up, and certainly for men to open up. I think we can all relate to that. Absolutely. So, Ben, how do you think we can inspire men, a man to talk? I think, you know, for me, it's definitely having people already been in that situation where they are talking, and knowing that it's okay, because that's what what did it for me. And I think in those roles, those people who have a strong enough personality, perhaps, or actually are in a good place, I guess, are not afraid to talk about maybe bad times that they've gone through and how they dealt with their feelings or be open about how they're feeling right then. And having that conversation will encourage others to have that, that, that talk. I think what is important, though, is... Just trying to find that person that you can trust to hold your confidence and hold your space because you don't necessarily want it to be around the office in about 30 seconds after speaking about it or whatever environment it is you work in. You want to be able to talk, but you want to know that it's not going to affect the way that people 
judge or deal with you, how they interact with you. I don't I don't need you to ask me if I'm all right 24 hours a day just because I said I'm having a bit of a tough time. Yeah, no, Actually, I want you to be normal. I want you to carry on, maybe check in once or twice. I don't need you to sort of woe is me. Does that, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, th- that does my head in. If people start being woe is me, I'm like, that's not what I'm about. I just needed to talk through a particular problem, maybe see a different angle, come up with a solution. So I think hold the space, be able to talk openly, maintain the confidence of the person that's speaking to you. You know, one of our clients has, uh, have been seen actually fell foul of that. They decided to discuss their situation with a friend and they've gone running straight back to the person that it involved and was about and has caused a whole ricochet impact. So that is crucial. Be conf- uh, have the confidentiality and respect for the person that's talking to you. They've obviously seen something in you that makes them want to talk to you and feels that you are a safe space to go. Um, and yeah, don't, don't, it doesn't mean I'm breaking every minute of the day. If I talk about my emotions, it doesn't mean I've completely broken and fallen over. It might just be that I need a bit of support. Yeah. I think we've all sort of touched on very similar points, but actually different as well. And I think that's, a really important thing so for me how to inspire a man to talk is all of those things plus more so it's everything we've already said and in every single different way because every man is different we had jamie on a couple of podcasts ago and he said that he doesn't talk he doesn't want to talk but he does he will talk in his way you know and i think we're all doing our own way and i think this whole come on, let's all talk attitude, which we've mentioned before. I think that is almost a devil in itself, you know, because there's not a right way to do this. There's not a right way to inspire a man to talk. There's not a right way for a man to talk. I think the most important thing is, like like we've all said, having that opportunity and that environment where we can talk if we want to, and we can talk as much as we want to, and we can talk in our own way and find that person that will support us for doing that and not say, like Ben said, like you said, Ben, it's like not asking you every five minutes afterwards, are we still all right? Are you still all right? Or saying, come on, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. It's everybody's going to have their own way. They want to open up and talk about their problems. Some people, it might be three words and that's all they needed, but they needed to be able to get that to somebody just so they, they're aware. They might not want them to do anything, but they're aware. I think you've just touched on something as well that's popped in my head. Is Not only is that person who's going, tell me more, tell me more, doesn't it drive you mad when someone goes, what you need to do, mate, is you need to do this. Oh, yeah. And that's a big thing, no, isn't it? I don't it's- need to do that. Is the um what's it, what do you call it the the um pub's professor? <laughs> They've always got a solution to every problem, haven't they? Yeah. Um, and you don't always want the solution to your problems. Sometimes you just need somebody to know that you that's going on. I, yeah. I think I think you know it reminds me of a sort of TV sketch where and and women are much better at this than men, of course. Um, where a woman will have a challenge and she'll tell her partner and he'll go, well, I'll go and fix it then. It's like, I didn't tell you to fix it. I told you just to share. And, you know, 
most often men we need to fix and sometimes we also don't want to fix and i think that's really interesting it's just trying to get that balance right and actually just listen and that's really important and this is men's mental health and we are talking about inspired men talk but actually most of the people i talk to are women yeah and I wonder if that's because every time I talk to a man, they tell me, well, I know the, I know what you need to do. Yeah, maybe you're right there. So <laughs> women listen better than men in in my case, I think. Um, so, you know, we've got to be mindful. We've got to be more open to hear. I think you made a really good point about we always want to fix it because, I mean – I'm I'm quite fortunate that I can talk to people and I'm quite happy to talk to people. I'm happy to have those issues, but I know when I've been in really down places and I've been sat in tears, I need to, I'm sitting there crying because I can't fix myself. You know, you've I've sat there in tears going, I need to fix this. I shouldn't be crying. Well, why not? It's just, it's a pressure valve as far as somebody told me once it's a pressure valve and you're, and I'm lucky to have it because a lot of men, particularly people in general but a lot of men out there don't have that pressure valve and that's how somebody explained it to me once and i've never forgotten that it it doesn't need to be fixed when you're in those situations it's fixing itself sometimes crying is not a weakness it's really important people get that being able to cry is not a weakness no seen as it often by Probably more the blokey world, doesn't it? Boys don't cry. That's what we're brought up with. Boys don't cry. Big but boys actually... don't cry. But I, but I, I I'd argue that point because I haven't been brought up like in those era. I've been brought up in the don't listen to the boys don't cry. I've always been told that for years. But it, but even when I sit in that situation, it wasn't a oh I shouldn't be crying because I'm a man. It's I need to fix this because I'm a man. You know, so I, it's a slightly different perspective, but still, are you a man? Of course I am. <laughs> Today. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm conscious of time. So what steps you you might take if you wanted to move to a goal where, okay, so you've found someone you can talk to, you've talked, to, talked it out, you've got your issues. Now what are you going to do to move forward? What steps are you going to take to move forward? Well, so, I'm going to take it from a slightly different perspective. Um, And it's more about, for me, how to move towards that goal so more people can talk, more men can talk. And for me, if I'm going to be more open to being talked to, I need to understand what stops me talking. So actually, why don't I talk to people? What is it? that stops me talking. And one of those things is that whole, oh, you talk to them, they're just going to tell you what you have to do, what you need to do to get better. And I wasn't asking for that. I just wanted to talk about how I feel. But actually, one of the big things for me, growing up um, in my family, but then going into the forces and then into a very masculine world, you might say, most of the things, pubs, clubs, whatever, the first start, any 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 weakness, any emotion was seen as a weakness, vulnerability, which is one side of things. But then you saw that if you did share anything, and I think Peter talked about this a few podcasts ago, 
you share the slightest little thing, little weakness, or you, you know, it's the sort of thing you stumble coming from the bar and drop a glass and everybody in the pub applauds and you're really embarrassed. When you try and talk to somebody as a man and they turn it into a joke, their banter or their joke, or they dismiss it, or they just use it as a weapon, you know, against you almost. You, you, or you see, I think the worst thing is when you see someone else that happens to that person shared a bit of themselves with that person, and that person's now ridiculed it. They've made it into a joke. It's an office, you know, thing. And that means you can't share. One person is going through too much stuff themselves. You don't want to burden them. And the other persons just think it's a funny thing. So Do that's, you think that goes back to the men trying to fix it, though? Because I think sometimes that's a genuine um, attempt to try and make them feel better. And no, it's not I, I, th- I think... It, I, I think it's a lack of emotional intelligence that, you know, or a lack of ability to have that answer. So they'll ridicule it because it protects them because actually they're quite vulnerable. Mm. So they're going to laugh about it and turn it into a joke. So everybody's looking at them rather than me. Um, so I'll turn it into a joke to deflect anybody noticing my vulnerabilities. Okay. That's so what. So back to the question of what steps do you think we can take to move to the goal of inspiring men to talk? Listening and hearing and offering the support the person is asking for rather than what we need to give, but never turning it into any level of amusement. You know, I see that in so many people and you discount yourself, but also people stop talking and then that whole culture of we don't talk here because it's not safe changing the environment open up the dialogue making it a normal narrative cool ben same question to you what steps do you think we might be able to take to start moving towards that goal of having more inspired men talking i think this is a really difficult one you know i'm I'm sat here listening and I'm, i'm i'm racking my brain and thinking about what steps can I take or what can you know we take as society to make that better for men to talk? Um, and I'm struggling. I think you know it's it comes down to encompassing all the points that we've talked about around holding that safe space, being able to talk openly about it. But I think there's a bit around culture here, and not just necessarily in the workplace, but in life we've got to see a bigger shift and see what what is changing and how do we collectively as society achieve that change i think if you if i keep it smaller because that's my head's going to explode if i try to think about society and how it can change that but if i keep it into the workplace environment i think that businesses need to focus more on opening up in their conversations with each other rather than necessarily, you know, just relying on that standard referral to OH or some sort of root counselling, et cetera. Because that's often what they say, you know, you, oh, we'll do an OH referral, we'll send you here, we'll do that. How about we just chat mm-hmm. within your peers and mm-hmm. know that that is a support network and instill the principles, things like, you know, confidentiality and not making it the office joke when we recruit people and we bring them along that journey to say, actually, we want to have that space for all of us. So respect it. Yeah. Support each other. 
um, and you know as a, uh, mental health and um mental health first aid kind of pops into my little brain a little bit as well with like the cue cards you know giving people some really simple steps to use to help each other talk and how to manage a conversation how to enable that approach i think you could almost replicate that as day-to-day life for everybody who joins a business in the right direction yeah yeah absolutely yeah one of the things when we do our training you know we do mental health training one of the first things is about creating an open dialogue and i think from a workplace because most of us spend most of our time in our life at work so creating that open dialogue but then there's an element of people trusting that they can do that so it is important absolutely peter what's your spin on it so how what steps can we take to get to this goal of a nice place where we can inspire men to talk is <clears throat> I was thinking, I, I remembered recently there was a photograph of Roger Federer and um, Rafael Nadal, and they were crying after some sort of event. I think they were they were sitting holding hands, but there was something going on. I can't quite remember what it was. And they were mercilessly mocked by the media. And it was almost like any time that a man in, in society showed a little bit of vulnerability they became mocked. Um, now, I don't know, there's been a couple of high-profile things recently with Deli Ali talking about his mental health struggles, um, Richarlison, who's a Spurs footballer, also talking about some of his issues. Um, and time will tell if that media that media response is different. Um, but I think that, that that needs to be be looked at from a society point of view that can men open up without being mocked publicly? And we're talking about it from a workplace and a work perspective. Um, and if we can start it in the workplace, then that's great. But we need to take it to the wider society as well, I think. Yeah, I think it goes back to something we've, we've all kind of said a united thing here. And I think it's education, isn't it? I think yeah. educate people in the fact that there's a right way to do this. It's not going to be the same for everybody. And that's the minefield of it all, I think, is everybody's going to be slightly different. I mean, we're talking from our perspective, but there might be people, some guys out there who want you to make a joke out of it. You know, they might, that might be the way they'd like to deal with it. So I don't think there's a right way and a wrong way, but I think education around the whole subject would be a massive, massive step in the right direction for inspiring more men and people in general to talk. And yeah. I think one of the big places is started from in the teenage years, you know, I mean, teenage boys are probably the least communicative people in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. So if we can educate them how to talk, they're going to make amazing inspired talking men. I think you make a really good point because over the last few years, they, whole thing about it's good to talk has been huge talk 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 we've been led by all sorts of charities and media it's good to talk it's good to talk loads of stars have come out and shared their issues but nobody's told us how to talk no so therefore we don't know how to talk so we don't 
You definitely so we just do. mock people in public instead. Yeah, Ben's right. You you definitely know how to talk. <laughs> but um, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Everybody's going to have a different way of talking, and I think there's too much regiment about men need to talk more. It's like, well, who's to say that you need to talk more, or you need to talk this way, or you need to talk that way? Who are we or anybody else to say? this is what you need to do to feel better when everybody's going to have their own way of feeling better. Maybe they haven't found it. So talking to somebody is how they're going to find it, but don't force it. I think this is a struggle that I've had a lot is don't force me to do it your way. Mm. Help me find my way. Yeah. That's one of the small steps we can take to get in to this place where men can be inspired to talk is, let them know that they can do it their own way. So you're saying that men need to be have men need to have better social intelligence, is what you're saying. I think they need to be given the free choice of how they of how they want to approach the subject of talking, not having it rammed down their throat every um, every year when it comes to Men's Mental Health Week, and every, all you hear on the radio is, "Come on, lads, let's talk more. Come on, boys, let's talk more. Men, we need to talk more." It's Hang on, let people know that they can do it their way. Actually, I do talk, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't put me in that box. Maybe like some men, maybe I don't want to talk. Maybe I don't want to ring the radio and talk about my problems. Maybe you should, maybe let's support each other in the fact that we are all different. And there are, we are, there are many ways in which we can talk for our problems. I think Jamie's point, like you touched on, on on the other show, was actually really pertinent. How he said, "I don't talk," but that is him talking because he shuts down. Yeah. yeah. So when he stops engaging, that's him talking. Yeah. So he talks in his own way. Yeah. But that and- means you've got to have a level of very quickly understanding the individual, like Christopher's going, like, okay, he shuts down. Other people get really chatty. Other people get worried or scared or this or that and it's having that social intelligence to be able to see what's in front of you rather than going everybody is like me so everybody should do what i do yeah absolutely and that again it's everybody has their own way which kind of brings me to the last question i'm conscious of time so we're fine yeah the last sort of thing we've talked about everybody can have their own way and everybody there's different ways that you can approach men talking now, I know we're all solution-focused professionals in the mental health game. And I know for me, that's the way I like to talk about through things. And I like to talk through things in a solution-focused manner. I don't want to sit and tell my problems over and over again. I think there's a time and a place for that. And I certainly would, a lot with my partner, I'll talk to her a lot about maybe this is what's bothering me and this is my problem, just so she's aware. And I've got that person there that I can talk to. But if I want to start getting through my problems, I want to talk about the solutions. I I want to talk to somebody so I can find the way out of the problem i don't want to go over it and over it again and i think we're all going to have a very similar approach to this because we are all in this profession but i want to talk a little bit about the dynamics around the solution focused approach to talking so who, who's got an opinion on that 
we all should have. I've got an opinion. Go for it. The solution-focused approach, what people need to understand is we don't actually have to talk about the problem. We don't have to delve into all the issues or go over it and recall it all. It's about, actually, if you come and speak to us, we'll give you some tips and tools on the brain, how it works. We'll help you to understand perhaps why you're feeling the things that you're feeling and give you tools on how to manage that without you having to relive every detail, every element of the problem. And also, you know, the questions that we do ask you, we don't tell you to do anything. We don't make a decision for you. We just allow you time, space, and an opportunity to think about your situation differently. And that's our job, to help you to see what small step you can take next towards achieving your bigger end goal, whatever that might be. But I think the the, the most fundamental point for solution-focused therapy is you don't have to talk about the problem and we can still get you better. Excellent. Thank you. And yeah, just to put a little spin on on part of that, where, where Ben talks about like the not giving advice, we, we've talked about how like, you know, as men, we like to fix things, but as therapists, it's actually letting the person come up with their own solutions because our solutions might not be, uh, might not be suitable. And I remember I was training for an Ironman and someone came to me to talk about weight loss and said, you know, what sort of exercise should I do? And I said, well, you don't want my exercise plan because I'm swimming 2K every day and I'm running like a half marathon every week. You don't need that. You need to find your solution to it. Um, and that's really what I love about the whole solution focus thing is that it allows the individual client to find their answer to their solution. And we're here to facilitate that. Really good, Peter. Thank you. Gary, you've um, been quiet. What's happened? What do you mean? <laughs> so it's interesting because um, I get asked this question a lot. So I'm lecturing most weekends on the solution focus model, training people. And we've just launched new courses because um, it's that time of year again. And so many people so why did you become a solution focused hypnotherapist? And I think there's a couple of fundamental things which solution focused therapy does, which really enables it. And it really fits well, I think, with a lot of men's attitude towards talking. The first thing is, I truly believe that all humans have this terrible, terrible affliction which gets in the way. And that's we need to know why. Before we do anything, before we take anything, is why. And if you look at any child, a younger child, all they ask you is why, why, why. And then when we get older, we go take these drugs, tell you this thing, tell you this. And that. But nobody ever tells us why. And one of the things I found with solution-focused hypnotherapy when I first looked at it is they tell you exactly why. Why you feel the way that you do. Why you behave the way you do. And it gives you, it really empowers you when you understand why you're in the place you are. It gives you hope, massive amount of hope. You go, oh, my God. I've had clients get angry with me 
because they've been through therapy for 15 years. They've been on every sort of antidepressant and remedy there is. But nobody had ever told them why. And now it's so obvious. So that then backed up with that everything, what they say and they show, there's science behind everything. So this isn't an opinion. This is a research thing. So when you say to someone who needs to know why and you can show them why and you know show them how this is working and where that information comes from it gives so much confidence in the fact that they don't want to talk about what they went through and now they not only aren't having to they know why they don't have to and how they can get better it's it's a game changer for me and that's why i really bought into the whole solution focused model and I think that in itself will really opens up to men coming to see solution focused professionals because not only do they don't they have to talk about the problem, they'll find out why they feel the way they do from a absolutely factual point of view. There's no um, waffle. Yeah, and I think that kind of covers a lot of the things that we said about how we inspire men to talk. It answers a lot of the question, the the issues that we said. It educates, it facilitates the environment, and it lets people do it in their own way. And I think they're the main things we picked up on as a group talking about how we inspire men to talk. We, it, that's how powerful I think the solution-focused approach is, is for people. And that's obviously our opinion, but I think it's one worth sharing. And I think that kind of brings us to the end today. I think that's a nice place to finish. But if you would like any more information about the solution-focused method and the solution-focused hypnotherapy, then please follow us on the socials Google our website, Inspired to Change, and you'll find loads more information on there. And also, I wanted to mention that we are all ha- always happy to take on guests. So if you've got something around men's mental health and why men talk and something around that that you'd like to share with us, get in touch. We'd love to have you on. Give us another perspective. But that'll do for me. So I want to say a big thank you to everyone. Yep. Thank you for me. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for me. It's been a great chat. Yeah, it's been really good. Thank you, Christopher. Excellent. So, hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to our podcast that proves men do talk. If you would like more information or support, then please visit inspiredtochange.biz where you can learn more about us and the Inspired to Change team. And remember, the conversation continues on our social media, Inspired Mentor.